All right. It always comes, you know, so quickly. You're standing there shaking hands with others, and then all of a sudden it's me, and I'm either here in the main auditorium or I'm live right now down in the venue or live out in North Platte. I want to say a big hello to all of you that are worshiping with us uh, here in our main auditorium. My name is Jeff. I am one of the pastors on staff. I, I, man, I want to say a massive hello to all my friends that are out in North Platte right now. I was just with you guys last Sunday. What a fantastic congregation of people called New Life that we have as an extension of us, both of us working together to transform South Central Nebraska. Fantastic. I mean, it's awesome. Um, and then those, of, those that are worshiping with us down in the venue right now, uh, live as well, they've been seeing some uh, brand new uh, attendance uh, records down there. Uh, it's just been amazing what God's doing around New Life. It's a privilege to serve as one of your pastors. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here. I know that your weeks are busy. You have a lot of things on your agendas. Uh, but putting God first, thinking of the, of the beginning of the work of the week being Sunday morning instead of Monday morning will radically transform the rest of your week. So that's just a little secret for you. Let this be the start of your week and may the first moments of your week be coming to worship God in his house with other believers. Amen? Amen. Come on. All right. Hey, listen, I got good news for you today. Uh, we, you may have looked up on the stage and wondered to yourself, I saw a pastor that was uh, on, in the main auditorium that I've never seen before. Well, I got great news for you. This is his very first Sunday back with us after being gone, missed, missed God's calling and left us like I did as well. <laughs> but nevertheless, he and his family are back and we believe that this is something that God is doing. It's only something that God can do. Would you please welcome here to our main stage, Pastor Chris and Lynette Puccini. Come on. It's awesome. It's awesome, man. Hey, it is great to have you guys here. Now, you guys, Chris, you guys served as youth pastors here how many years ago? Oh, we, we started here in 2004. Wow. 11 years ago. Okay, just a few. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's 2004, and you served, you served on staff here how long? Till 2009. 2009. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I was the youth pastor and then, um, you know, we hired you, and I transitioned, so that was a lot of fun. And then to have you guys come back is fantastic, right? Where, where have you guys been serving at in these last, you know, what, six years, six and a half years? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Lynette. Okay, Lynette, Lynette, okay, Lynette talk to us. Tell us. where. Can we do this real quick, though? I mean, Oh, you want to take gotta, a selfie? Gotta... Yeah. You want, you want your friends to know? Hold on, let me get in here. All right. Yeah, that's good. I like things like that. That's good. Awesome. That way all your friends will know for sure. Yes, we really are here. We really are here. Lynette, where have you guys been for the last six and a half years? Um, we have had the amazing opportunity to be in warm and beautiful Tucson, Arizona as lead pastors, serving there at a church called Copper Mountain. It was a wonderful time for us, but we are so excited to have been invited to come back and be with our New Life family. It is just a joy to be here. Well, we really, we're excited to have you guys back. And those, those of us that were around here when you guys were here, you know, that's why we're excited. There's a whole group of them, though, out in North Platte right now that have never met you, down in the venue that many of them have never met you. There's many that are here that have never met you. God's been doing some great stuff. Uh, I've only been back here for, man, it's, it's a, two and a half years or so. 
Uh, it's not even three years yet, and so to be able to come ahead and work with you guys again is fantastic. Tell us a little about your family, though, Lynette. Uh, how many kids do you have? What's their names? What's their ages? Sure. Um, I have three amazing kids. They're such a joy to um, have as mine. Our oldest, Juliana, is a freshman. She's uh, just started Carney High this week. I think she's down in the venue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, our son, Ryan, is right up here with us. He's a sixth grader at Sunrise. And we have Chloe, who is enjoying Power Kids this morning. She is in second grade. All right, right. Well, man. So this like that. See, this is what I'm talking about. You keep inviting people, you know, to, to grow in a relationship with God, and our church keeps growing, right? And this is my way of inviting people. So I just invited a family, a whole family. Thank you guys for coming and being my guests here. I appreciate that. Um, now, on a serious note, Chris, what has God been, what has God really been doing in your heart, preparing you guys? What, I mean, what, what is really in your heart about being back here in New Life? Can, can you address that? Yeah, you know, New Life feels like home to us. Many of you, we know you. Uh, many of you we're getting to know. But New Life feels like home. I've been able to come back every year to hang out with you guys, and it always feels like coming back home on a weekend vacation. Like, I've been away at college, and I get to come home and hang out with my family, And uh, there's a special anointing that God has upon this house, upon you, upon the mission of this church. It's something that God did some amazing things in my life from 2004 to 2009 when I came here uh, to work with Pastor Wine and Pastor Jeff. And so this is a place God did something deep in us. and And it was just amazing that God allowed us to come back and work with, you know, Pastor Appreciation Day. Can I just say we have amazing pastor, Pastor Jeff and Kim. Um, thank you. And so getting, getting to serve uh, people like this is, is a no-brainer for us. But uh, God put it in our hearts, and we're just glad to get to come back and partner with you and partner with you guys to see God's kingdom advance. Amen. Amen. Well, we're excited to have you back, you know. And uh, it's kind of a little dream come true. You know, God's putting, the, God's putting the old team back together again. Come on. That's a good thing, right? All right. Well, thanks for being here, guys. We're looking forward to what God's going to do. Thanks. All right. So all of you that are with us, you know, at, uh, in the venue or North Platte, you'll sooner or later be meeting Chris and Lynette. It'll be fantastic. Hey, we're in a current teaching series entitled, I Am Second. We're, we're learning how to live second so that Jesus can live first in our life. All right. That's the whole paradigm. I know that if you run a race... Coming in second isn't always the thing that just makes you go, yes. But in your spiritual life, coming in second, you win. Because Jesus has to be first. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about um, our youth. That even in your youth, even in your youth, you got to put Jesus first. And if you really want to learn how to live second, you're going to have to start trusting God in your youth. So my wife and I... I'm 45, I will not tell you how old she is. Um, we decided that, uh, that we were going to go on a backcountry, uh, you know, hiking adventure this past week. So last Sunday we preached out in North Platte, we had all of our gear with us. I like to do these kinds of things. My wife has never gone into the backcountry, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's gone camping with us because we used to live in Alaska, but that was... You pull up the van, you unload everything. If things get really bad, you can go sleep in the van, right? This is your, your five, six miles into the backcountry. You don't just get out quick and you've got your, you got your backpack on. You, 
you're, you're carrying everything you need to survive. This is our first time doing this. So we get to Colorado at the first part of this last week and we start hiking in and we get in there and it is one big, massive adventure, <laughs> a massive adventure of which I love to tell stories, but this is one of those stories that I'm not going to tell. Yep. If you want the story, you got to ask my wife. I'm playing this one safe, all right? I'm going to make sure I don't get myself in trouble on this one. So uh, you want the story, you go talk to Kim. She's told the story many different times. So it's awesome. But here's the deal. We, We hiked in about 13 miles south of Idaho Springs, if you know where that is, just west of Denver. There, there is a, a trailhead, starts at Echo Lake, and it hikes you back into the Chicago Lakes area. Now, this, this is a fantastic place. It's beautiful. It is amazing. But one thing that I was, man, I was just so thankful for, we were hiking this well-traveled trail. You could tell people for... You know, years and years have been hiking this trail. They've gone in and they've cut trees and they've trimmed limbs. And man, many thousands of feet have walked on this trail. It is well-defined. They've brought rocks in to shore it up where maybe, you know, the water would come and run it away. It it was just easy, easy to follow. And I was so thankful for that because there were these moments when, uh, as well, though, that you would get to where the the trail kind of like split right? And you had to make a decision, which one am I going to go on? Because now, now they're both well-traveled. Well, I was thankful that when we were at REI before that, uh, I bought the trail map for this area. And you pull out the trail map and you look at it and you'll find the mountain peaks and discover where you're at and, and learn very quickly, oh, this trail, I need to stay to the right if I'm going to keep on this trail or this left one's going to take me, I don't have no idea where, but it's going to waste time. And when we were hiking, there was no energy that could be wasted, uh, no time that could be wasted, if you know what I'm saying. So we needed to find the right path the first time. So because all of these people had gone before us and hiked the trail, it made it easy for that. Because I had purchased this trail map, it made it a lot easier as well. See, but my story and this adventure is very much like your spiritual journey. You really need both of these things. You need the generations, spiritual generations that have gone before us that have blazed a spiritual trail that will make your spiritual journey a lot easier to follow. We need that. We needed our great-grandparents, our grandparents. We need the senior citizens of our church to maintain that trail. We need that. But we also need those moments where we just got to have God's word. God's word is going to tell us when you get to the fork in the road, which which uh, trail do you take? You know, there's many ways that are going to seem right unto man, but only one of them leads to life, and all the other ones lead to death. So you've got to have God's word to lead you and to guide you. So this, this well-defined trail was essential for Kim and I to reach our destination, but it's also essential for you if you're going to reach your destination. And if we're speaking to the youth today, What we're going to be doing today is speaking to those that are ages in their 30s and below. So if your age starts with a four or higher, I am speaking to you, but this message is purposefully directed to those that are 30 and below. All right? So don't try to sneak in because it's four zero. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. You're like, well, last month it was three nine. It's too late. Too late. All right? We're speaking to the youth. 
the youth here. One of the things that, that you know, young adults and teenagers struggle with is this well-defined blaze trail and then being told, you know what, you need to run on that trail. Because everything inside of, I'm just going to put myself there for a moment, everything inside of us says, isn't there a different way we can do this? Isn't there a more efficient? Isn't there a better? That, that way is old. And we think that, you know, we've got some brand new creative idea that is all of a sudden going to blow the roof off of everything. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a new spiritual revelation that's going to come. And what we need to do is this, young people. We've got to figure out where the, the path that has been blazed before us for the generations, get on that path and run as fast as we can down that well-blazed that well path. Because every generation is going to have to bust off the end of that path because every generation is called to blaze their own trail. The best spiritual trail that you and me can blaze in the future for this church or any other church that God would end up having you at is the one where you've walked firmly on the footsteps of those that have gone before you until you reach the end of the trail and you keep that trajectory and you just keep moving forward. Not today, as an example. New life looks radically different than it did three years ago. Three years ago, we all met in this room. We met in this room at 9 o'clock. We met in this room at 1045. And when I got here, we were getting really, really close to packing this whole place out, you know, 9 and 1045. We can't stay like that. So what did we do? We got to the end of the trail and we decided with new leadership and the next generation being the one that got passed from Bob Wine and the baton to myself, we decided we're going to blaze a new trail. Now that trail looks like a church that has three different locations, four worship services that happen every single Sunday morning with hundreds and hundreds of more people that are worshiping with us and people coming to know Jesus every single week. It's exciting what God's continuing to do. How did we get there? We didn't get there by just going back to the beginning of the trailhead and going, we got a better way to get to Chicago Lakes. I'm so thankful today for those people that thousands of people that walked before us to Chicago Lakes because we got there. My wife and I have made it. It's awesome. And I'm so thankful for those of you that have gone before us in this church spiritually because we are where we are because of you. And I thank you for that. And I thank you. And today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in 2 Kings It ends at the end of of chapter 21, and it goes through about verse 30 of chapter 23, looking at a king, his name's Josiah. And as we look at this passage of scripture in in due form, you know, for our teaching series, you're going to hear it in a paraphrased version today. Uh, You're going to hear it in a dramatized version by someone in our drama team. This passage and this story of Josiah, I want you to be listening for how did Josiah trust God in his youth? And how did the older generations trust the youth to lead them to where God wanted them to be? Why don't you take a listen to 2 Kings. I can remember sitting in the corner of the great room of my father's palace, playing with uh, little wooden cutout horses and chariot, little army figurines there, imagining that the unevenness of the stones in the floor was the topography of a great battlefield, and I would navigate as the general my forces against our arch enemies, the Assyrians. Well, on this particular day, 
I was just about to wipe out that Assyrian king when all of a sudden the door flew open and a bunch of servants rushed in from this side and then this door flew open and a bunch of advisors rushed in from that side and there was, there was yelling that I couldn't understand. There was, there was whispering that I couldn't quite make out what was going on and I, I stood up so I could see over and see what was going on but, but I couldn't because I wasn't always this tall. Like most boys, when they're eight years old, they still have some growing to do. But uh, finally, one of the, the servants came over and took me aside and said, your father has been murdered. Murdered? My dad? The king of Judah? Amon, son of Manasseh, murdered? The news hit me like a ton of bricks. I, I didn't know what to do. What was going to happen now? What was going to happen to me? Well, it soon became very clear what was going to happen to me. I was made king. Josiah, age eight, king of Judah. That was me. Remember the first time sitting in this chair, it uh, seemed a lot bigger than it does now. Uh, Just overwhelmed with the responsibility of running an entire kingdom that I knew nothing about. I knew that my father was not very well liked. I knew that my grandfather was not very well liked before him and that the people generally weren't happy, but I didn't really know why. But one thing I did know is I knew that I was going to be different. I knew that it was going to be part of my job as king to restore some of the happiness to the land of Judah. Well, thankfully, God had placed in my advisor pool some people that didn't quite believe the same way as my father and grandfather, and they introduced me to an idea of a God that was not like the gods that we are currently worshiping. You see, mankind has a need to find something beyond themselves. They have a need to explain the unknown. And when, when the sun rises in the morning and sets in the evening and we don't understand why, we tend to attribute that to a higher power that we don't know. When the rains come or they don't come, when it's hot or it's cold, the sun and the stars and the moon, all of these things are mysteries to us. And so we tend to worship them to fill that void in our lives. In our efforts to become greater than we are, our people had built statues and idols upon the high places of the land, the hills and the mountaintops, and would go up there and worship and cry out to these gods that they had made up in an effort to understand a little bit about what was going on in their lives. In the places where maybe there weren't hills, we would build hills and put statues up on top of them. Well, as my advisors began to tell me about a God that did not care if I built a statue up and made lots of sacrifices and did certain things, but a God that loved me and wanted what was best for me, I knew part of my mission was to tear down those high places. And I went around the kingdom and I tore down those idols. I tore down those high places. I flattened those pyramids that had been built. The poles that had been raised to honor the goddess of Asherah, I chopped those up, burned them up, got rid of those things, began to purge the land of these idolatrous practices that my people had been been practicing. Well, 
around my 26th year, King Ashurbanipal from Assyria was killed. He had been a threat to our borders for many, many years, and much of my time had been devoted to defending the land of Judah from the Assyrians. And now with him out of the picture, Assyria was greatly weakened, and I could devote time and efforts to other things. One of those things was looking around the city of Jerusalem, I could see that we had fallen into disrepair. More importantly, the temple of God had fallen into disrepair. The temple built by Solomon needed some repairs. So I tasked a workforce to go in there, repair this temple. One day, the construction crew excitedly came into my, into my chambers and, and was very eager to show me what they had uncovered back in one of the rooms. And they, they held it out, and it was a, a dusty scroll. And as they began to unravel it and read, it said, the book of the law of Moses. Moses. There was a name. There was a name that I recognized from a little bit of my studies. You've probably heard of him yourself. But Moses had something to say. I wanted to know what Moses had to say, so I had them read it. They began to read it, and as the words unfolded of what God had done in Moses' life and the rules that God had laid out for Moses and the people to follow struck me to the heart like arrows piercing, realizing that we have come so far as a nation from God's plan for our lives. Out of sorrow and out of despair and repentance, I tore my robes and was like, enough, enough is enough. We have gone our own way for long enough and it is time to come back to the God of our ancestors. I called the people together, read the book of the law to them and said, this is the new direction that we are going. This is the God that we are going to follow. No more of these other crazy gods that are not real, but this God, this God that is real, this God that is powerful enough to bring his people out of Egypt and protect our nation, this God that wants a personal relationship with us, this is the God we are going to serve. We are going to give our entire lives and make this God first. No more playing the battlefield on the floor no more being the general of the battles on the borders of our country against the Assyrians, but now the battle for the hearts and the minds of the people of Judah to turn from the ways that we have gone and focus directly on the God of Moses and David. My name is Josiah, king of Judah, and I am second. You know, as, uh, as always, whenever, whenever we do this, this type of teaching, I always encourage you to go back to the passage and read it for yourself. It was on the screen for a long time. I hope that you wrote it down. Um, it would be beneficial for you to be able to read it word for word all the way through. Might be a great read even this evening before you go to bed. Kind of package this whole thing together. But from this young man who starts his kingship at eight years old, what can we learn from him about living second? What can we learn? If you're going to live second to Jesus, what is it about his life that we need to glean from and need to live as well? Well, the first thing would be this. You need to pick the right past to navigate your future. Pick the right past if you're going to navigate your future. 
Take a look at this scripture because this story is also told in 2 Chronicles. Listen to what, what Josiah says here about picking his right past. Take a look. It says in 2 Chronicles 34, 3, that during the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor who? David. Began to seek the ancestor David. Then in the 12th year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all of the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols, and cast images. Who did he pick to follow? The, he picked David. He picked the, the God of his ancestor, David. Now check this out. Josiah to David, how much time had passed? 381 years had passed. Between Josiah and David, how many kings had ruled Judah? 16 of them. Manasseh and Ammon, that was his grandfather and his father, two of the most wicked kings that the, that the kingdom of Judah had ever had in their entire history. And Josiah ends up becoming one of the most godly kings, probably the most godly king that Judah had experienced. Listen to what he does. He does not follow what his father set for him. He does not follow what his grandfather set for him. He goes all the way back 381 years ago and he picks a man by the name of David and says, I'm going to model my ministry and my kingship and my livelihood after that man. Teenagers, young adults, those in their 30s that are, that are here today, listen to me. Listen to me carefully. You do not have to continue following the model that your mom and your dad and your grandfather and your grandmother set up if it's not a godly model. Don't have to do it. But you do have to honor them. That's biblical. One of the greatest ways you can honor them is if you come from a home where your parents aren't godly is to start honoring God. I guarantee you God's going to change your heart and he's going to help you honor them in a way that might just transform their life. But moms and dads, us in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, listen, strive to live an example of a life that the younger generation would be able to say, I want to follow your example. Stop lowering the bar. Stop giving up convictions. Hold on to your convictions. We need it. Shore up the trail for us. Come in where it's getting washed out and put a couple more spiritual stones in there for us. We need you to do that. Don't make us have to look beyond those two generations that are typical in our lives, our parents and our grandparents, to find an example of godliness for us to follow. But may we be a church in our community that sets a godly example that our community could follow straight into the arms of Jesus. Amen? If you're young in this place, pick Pick a path that you're going to follow and stick with it. And I would encourage you to pick, pick Team Jesus. All right? You got a team world and you got Team Jesus. Pick Team Jesus. Don't be one of those guys. You know one of those people that follow sports and before football started, they picked a team. Right? And then as the season goes on and their team's not winning, they decide to switch teams. You know one of those people? Don't be one of those people. Don't be one of those people especially when it comes to your spiritual life. You might change teams throughout the season and take a lot of flack from people. That's one thing. But when you keep flip-flopping teams from Team Jesus to Team whatever you think is right, I'm telling you right now, that's a, that's a, success, that's a, that's a pattern for disaster, not a pattern for success. Pick the right team. 
and us that are older, set an example that they can follow. Josiah picked the right one. And because he picked the right one, he's known forever now as one of the most godly kings that the kingdom of Judah had. Young people, you pick the right path to follow, you might just be known as the, as the most godly generation this church has ever seen. And we need you to be that. We need you to be that. We need you to pick the right one and to sink your teeth into it and sink your life into it and follow, follow Christ so that this church, just one church out of many churches, would be a thriving, successful church in the generations to come, impacting our world for Jesus. But if you're going to live second to Jesus, there's another thing that I think Josiah really kind of shows us, and that is don't fall prey to the current culture. Fight for a Jesus culture. Josiah lived in one of the most wicked time frames of the whole kingdom of Judah in some of the most influential years, his teen years, those formative years, those years when, you know, your personalities developed, those years when you're starting to discern what right from wrong is and how you're going to live your life and how you're not going to live your life. It's during that time in his teen years that he's growing up in this most wicked environment ever, but he doesn't allow that to affect him. Guess what he does? At age 16, is anybody in here 16 years old? Anybody in North Platte, the venue 16? Come on, let me just hear you. If you're 16, shout it out really loud. Okay, one. Yeah, I, I pray to God it was louder in the venue. And it's, may God bless us. Um, right, at 16 years old, guess what he decides? At 16, in the midst of all this wicked culture, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to follow the God of my ancestor, David. Man, you know what that tells a guy that's 45 and older? Don't ever give up on this youth culture. God does something inside of their hearts that you can't see. And maybe sometimes you don't know what's going on. Don't, don't ever get to the place where you look at our culture around us and you give up on it. Don't ever get to a place where you think life has become so wicked. How could the next generation ever be more godly than we were? Let me just tell you something. As the times get more wicked, there's a generation that's rising up right now that's going to be one of the most godly generations you've ever seen. I believe that with all my heart or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I believe it. And I want to be a guy that helps release it. And I want to be a guy that helps lead it. And I hope that if you're in your 40s and above, you want to do the very same thing with me. Because then at 20 years of age, Josiah decides he's going to activate this passion that he's found. And he starts going throughout the kingdom, tearing down all of the idols. And he starts changing his culture. Changing the culture. See, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a generation that sees itself change a culture. I want to be a part of a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ in such an enticing way that it changes its community. And that's what I, what, that's what I hope that you are. I hope that whether you're young or you're old in this place, that that's the kind of life that you want to lead because that's what Josiah did. And Josiah created a God-centered culture. Take a look at what he did in 2 Kings. The king, he took his place of authority beside the pillar and he renewed the covenant in the Lord's presence. This was all happening in the temple. He pledged, Josiah pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all, how many? All, all his commands, his laws, and decrees with how much? 
all his heart and soul. Look what happens. In this way, he confirmed all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And all the people pledged themselves to the covenant of the Lord. Two critical things. First, Josiah pledges himself 100%. He is like the, he is the perfect picture of the fish swimming upstream, you know, against the current. He is the man who's going, I don't care what my peers say. I don't care what those that are older than me or younger than me think. I am going to pledge myself 100% to follow God. And guess what happens? You don't have to guess. It was written. What took place in the hearts of all the people? They did the very same thing. See, young people, listen to me. What we need you to do here at New Life and what we need you to do in Kearney, North Platte, or whatever community you live in is create a Jesus culture. Create a culture that's focused on Jesus, just like Josiah created a culture focused on God. So how can you do that? I would recommend following the example that Josiah set. The first thing was this. He, got, he, he, began, he became familiar with and he, and he grew in knowing God's word. See, when the scroll was brought to him, it was first read to him. He was so convicted by it, he tore his clothes. Then he took the scroll and he started looking at it himself until finally the verse we just read, guess what he does with the scroll? He doesn't, he doesn't give the responsibility away to some other person to read the scroll. He gets up in front of the entire group of people and he reads it. He knows it. So if you're in your 30s or below, listen to me. One of the most life-transforming things that you can do is this. Get God's word in your heart. It's not just another book. It is the book. It's not just a set of good writings. It's a set of life-transforming writings. Soak it up. Read it. Get to know it. Here's the second thing Josiah does, though. He doesn't just read it. He allows God's word to transform him personally. One thing you need to know if you're a if you're youth in this place, God's word is timeless. It's timeless. It was good for Josiah and it's still good for us today. God's word is timeless. Let God's word get into you, but let God's word transform you and let God's word change you. That's what he did. But if Josiah was here, he would tell us another thing. He would say, don't love people just to change them. Love Jesus enough not to leave them where they are. That's what you see Josiah doing. Josiah doesn't read God's word and get God's word in his heart and start changing his life and then go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make my entire kingdom a big project. We tend to, you know, start getting passionate about God in our youth and then we want to turn around and make other people our project. If we try to make our culture our project, we're never going to change it. Josiah would say to us, you love Jesus enough that you would get into the filth, into the grit, into the grime of your culture, and you would lead them one step at a time out of it. You would love them with the love of Christ out of the disastrous life that they're leading. And that's the model that Josiah led for us. And guess what happens? All of the people decide, I want what, what Josiah has. Young people, there's something exciting in worship about seeing you worship. And when grandmothers and grandfathers look forward and they see young adults worshiping God with passion, it just pulls it out of them. It makes them want to worship. You have an influence in this church. As long as I'm pastor, we're going to figure out more and more ways to get people in their 30s and below into places of leadership. We need it. 
Now, we're going to be looking for the right people, and I'm going to talk about that here in just a minute because there's a great price that needs to be paid if you want to be someone like Josiah who gets released in leadership to influence the culture of new life, influence the culture of our community. You've got to learn how to give it all. This can't be one of these things where you just give what you feel comfortable giving. You've got to give it all. It's you, all in or all out. It's one or the other. Which team are you going to play on? And that's what we're looking for today. We're looking for people that are all in, like this girl that you're going to hear her testimony from right now. She's in her 20s. She's here at our church, and she's been discovering God doing some amazing transformation in her life. And so I thought, since we're talking about trusting God in your youth, you would want to hear a story of someone in their 20s. And so would you please welcome one of your very own. Her name is Grace Childress. I grew up in a Christian household. I had two parents and three siblings that were always encouraging and always challenging us in our faith. Uh, All through middle school, I attended youth groups and I went to summer camps with my friends. And when I asked to be baptized at a young age, I knew who Jesus was and I knew what it meant um, to live a Christian life. And I knew who God was and I was strong in that. Uh, All of that kind of shifted and it changed when I started high school. I thought that to get far in this world, you needed a good education, and I needed to be smart, and that's what would get me where I wanted to be. So I started kind of ignoring God's voice in my life. I didn't really consider him a part of my life. I didn't really associate myself with a Christian name. I didn't think it was the cool thing to be a Christian. I didn't think people would like it um, or think highly of me because of that. Um, All of that got worse as I came to college and I started my first semester at UNK. I was 17 and I got into an environment that I had never been involved with before. And as a 17-year-old girl who's starting out college and has found this new independence, I wanted to test my limits. And so I went to parties and I got involved you know, with that group of people and at every party I went to, I got more and more determined to not be that person. I didn't like that environment. I didn't feel safe with the people I was with. And so I made the decision not to really drink anymore um, in college, and it's something I didn't want to do. And at the time, I was so proud of myself. I thought, wow, look at you go. You're not going to be like everybody else. You're not going to be that drunk girl on a Friday night. And I gave all that credit to myself. Um, But looking back now, I realize that it was all God's choice. You know, it was him protecting me from those situations and pulling me away from those because that's not what his plan was for me. That's not where he wanted me to go in life. A few months later, I had continued with my studies and um, just had friends at school, and I met a guy. And I was excited. Um, He was smart and funny and cute, and I thought he was just the full package. Um, The thing I liked most about him is he was an outspoken Christian. He wasn't afraid to say that he knew who God was and that he had a faith. And it was interesting to me because I didn't have anybody in my life at that time. I didn't have friends that were like that, and I, I was interested in it. And I thought to myself, you used to be like that why aren't you like that anymore? You know, why, why don't you have that outlook on life anymore? And so I wanted, I wanted to grow in my relationship with God, and I wanted to get back to a place like that. Um, we started dating, and I, I went to church, and I started going to Bible studies, and I really started reading my Bible again for the first time in, in a really long time. 
And as much as I started stepping towards a relationship with God again, I had things in my life that I was not willing to give up for him. He was asking me to turn away from some desires that I had and some wants that I had, and I wasn't willing to give them up yet. Um, My boyfriend and I decided to have sex pretty early on in our relationship, Um, and at that point, our entire relationship shifted from building a relationship on a foundation of God and walking in faith together. We built it on sex, and it just consumed everything about us, and we started fighting. I fought with him. I fought with myself. And most importantly, I fought with God at that time. I just couldn't understand why God was asking me to give up something that I thought was okay, why he was asking me to wait um, for that moment in my life. This continued on for about a year, and I was just at a standstill in my relationship with God. I just, I couldn't take that step for him. I wasn't ready. And it went until I got to a point in my relationship where my boyfriend and I were not in a situation we were ready for. Um, I had a pregnancy scare. And I didn't know if I was pregnant or not for quite a while. And, you know, my outlook on life had changed right at that moment. And my relationship was over at that point. Um, We found out that I wasn't pregnant and my relationship ended very quickly after. And so there I was, the love of my life, who I thought I was going to be with forever, was now gone, and I found, I didn't know who I was. I would just sit there, and I wasn't proud of the decisions I had made. I wasn't proud of who I had become. And I was hurt, and most importantly, I was so ashamed, and so just, I felt so unworthy in the eyes of God at that moment. And I knew what I had to do. I knew that I had to ask for forgiveness and and say that I was sorry and ask him to lead me, but it was hard, and so it took every piece of me to get down on my knees and ask him for forgiveness, and I did. And the amazing thing is that at that moment in my life, I had this overwhelming sense of like peace and comfort and love come over me, and God instantly changed my life. He, He put me... He gave a view to my life that centered on him. And the love and the comfort that I had been seeking so long, I found in him, even though I was looking for it in a man. And at that moment, it was so easy for me to let him take over my life. And I just started surrounding myself with people that were encouraging to me. I saw my friend group kind of change. Um, I found a safe place at home with my roommates who encouraged me and supported me in my faith. And for the first time in my life, I was pursuing a relationship with God solely for myself. I didn't have my parents pushing me. I didn't have a boyfriend pushing me. I wanted it for myself. And I think that that's the reason that it was so easy to do it. Because I was just so happy to let him make that, those decisions and to lead me. And I made him a priority. And everything that I ever thought he was going to give me, he, he tremendously surprised me with more. He has challenged me so much more in my life than I ever could have imagined. Um, the first day that I walked into new life was a challenge. I, I, didn't, I wasn't going to a church, but I was reading my Bible and I was growing in my faith. And I found a church that I could come every Sunday and meet with God and meet with a group of people that were so loving and encouraging for each other. 
And then um, I went to a life group, and that was scary. You know, I didn't know how that was going to go. And I went to life group with Pastor Jeff and Kim, and I met with people that just had a passion for Christ and were so uplifting. Each week, we would dive into God's Word, and I was able to look at it in a new light because I was just so excited to learn more about Him and how to show His glory to other people. Um, another thing he challenged me with was working with the youth. Um, for any of you that know me, I never thought I'd work with kids. <laughs> I just didn't see myself in that position. And he just really turned my heart towards that. And he, I, I was so hesitant, but he wanted me to do that. And it has been the biggest blessing of my life. I'm able to look at kids every week and watch them find God, and watch them turn their lives over to him. And it just amazes me. And it grows my faith so much to watch these kids love Christ unconditionally and love on others unconditionally. And so I learned, you know, through my past experiences, and I can sit here with you guys today and tell you that no matter how far you walk away from God, and no matter how much you ignore him, that you are always worthy in his eyes. And it is so easy to turn back towards him. It's the best and easiest decision that you will ever make in your life. And he will surprise you with things that you never thought you were capable of. Uh, I am Grace Childress, and I am second. Guys, I'm telling you, our fastest growing demographic at our church is those people in their 20s and in their 30s. And they're just like Grace. They're coming and they're looking for a safe place where they can find a group of people that are going to love them right where they are, but love them enough not to leave them there, to inspire and to encourage them to be followers and Christ followers of Jesus. That's why it's so important that you that are older, like me, that we blaze this trail that's safe for others to walk on. And that we release them to continue to make an impact in this world like Grace just did with her testimony. So, in wrapping up today, what else do you need to know if you're going to let Jesus be first and you're going to live second? If you're a youth in here, please listen to me. Don't let your youth disqualify your leadership influence. Don't let your youthfulness disqualify you. Josiah did not let his age stop him from making an impact. Josiah did not allow his maturity to stop him. Josiah didn't allow his education or the lack thereof to stop him. Josiah was not a man who grew up underneath a king, you know, into his 20s and 30s, and then his father gives him the kingship. No, he's eight years old when he takes it over. He doesn't allow his youthfulness to stop him. And Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy, these words encouraging him as well in the New Testament. Don't let your youth stop you, Timothy. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Let me just say this to you, younger generation. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for a new life, those who are willing to live an example like what Paul just challenged Timothy with. And when we see that, we want to release people to lead. 
Today you're going to be led by a 20-something. Today you're going to sing a song written by her, a 20-something. Today you're going to be led in all different types of ways and we're going to keep finding more ways to take those who are willing to live the example in what they say, in how they live their life, that they lead an example of loving others, and that they, leave, they, live, they lead a Christ-centered example of purity in their life. And when we find that, we want to release them. We want to release them. May it be said about the younger generation here at New Life, the same thing that was said about Josiah. Let me end with this. The Bible says this about Josiah. Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. Never before had there been a king like Josiah. If you're 30 and below, let me just say something to you. You are what I'm going to refer to as a Josiah generation. And may it be so about you that there never has been and there possibly never will be, depending on when Jesus decides to come back for his church. May there be a Josiah generation that rises up at this moment that is unlike any other generation before them, that in the face of wickedness that's in our world, that you are rising up to be lovers of Jesus, creating a Jesus culture in our world, creating a Jesus culture in our church that's so attractive that the world can't help but come and find out what in the world's happening through the lives of people like Grace and so many others. They're having their life transformed and changed. Is there anybody with me at all? So, young Josiah generation, rise up and lead us today as we, as we follow and we seek after God in a time of worship. Let's do that. Why don't you stand with me? Father, as we come before you today, I am more hopeful for the future of your church today than maybe I ever have been in my entire life. As I look at scripture and I see How one man, Josiah, can be raised in such wickedness, but yet find the truth of the gospel and transform an entire kingdom? Lord, I think I'm looking at a Josiah generation today that has the ability to rise up and be so Christ-centered and so Christ-minded that it's so anti our culture that it becomes attractive. Lord, I'm praying for a great awakening in in these last days in which we live. I'm praying for a great awakening where thousands come to know you. Lord, I pray not just for the auditoriums of new life, the three that we have now and the many more to come to be full, but I pray for the auditoriums of Bible preaching, Jesus preaching churches across South Central Nebraska, Lord, to be full, to be full of the 20s and the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80-year-olds seeking after, seeking after Jesus and allowing him to become the passion of their life. So Lord, we take these next few moments to turn our full attention on you, to turn our entire heart towards you. May we be known as a generation who sought after you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we obeyed the laws of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.